Jen. Okay. Well, good morning. I will. A couple weeks ago, I was walking through the commons, and a student asked me, who's preaching on Grandparents' Day? And I said, I am. And he said, good. And then he, the sentence went on, but do you ever notice how in your mind, in a nanosecond, you can fill in what you're thinking or hoping they might say? Because my mind filled in, good, I love it when you preach. And my mind filled, filled in, good, you always say such good stuff. And my mind thought it might end up with, good, because you're my favorite chapel speaker ever. And that's what I was thinking in that nanosecond. And he said, good, you're old enough. Not what I thought I might hear, but something that's incredibly true. I am old enough for this moment. I proudly admit I am a grandfather. I have evidence of it on my phone, and I thought I might show you the proof from photographic reality. Do we have pictures of my grandkids? There we go. So Leo and Stella visited this summer. Leo cannot stand still when he has a picture taken. Stella's throwing the horns up behind Grandma Patty. And uh, their little sister Vivian couldn't come, but she knows how to rock a pair of sunglasses. And uh, they are delightful to be grandparents uh, of. But those pictures have absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. I just got to prove I was a grandparent. By the way, every grandparent here today right now says, can I show mine? And you have your pictures of your grandkids too. So if the pictures have nothing to do with what I'm talking about, what is the reality of what I'm talking about and who's my target audience? And I will tell you right up front that today I want to speak to students from a grandparent's perspective, from my end of the life spectrum. And uh, grandparents, if you'll lean in and listen, I think there might be something for you as well. Here's one of the first things I tell the students as you think about what's coming in the future. And that is, you have no idea of what's coming. Last week was homecoming, and I saw a bunch of old friends. I mean, some of these people were... A couple of them were on worship ministry teams that came to my church camp when I was a teenager. And they had the picture on on their name tag that included the picture of them when they were 20. And I recognized that picture better than I recognized their face. But I'm not just throwing stones because I'm one of those people too. I want to show you a picture from the yearbook of my freshman year that was taken in the fall of 1968. How about the one just before that? Is there one that's just before that? There we go. Rocking the short shorts there. I'm the one next to the guy in the suit. I, uh, yeah. I was 5'9", about 120 pounds. A lean, mean running machine. And then the next one was taken that fall as well. That was me. Uh, young, smart aleck, cocky, funny. Thought I knew it all. Um, see if we can add the picture next to it. That's me today. And let me tell you, the guy on the left had no idea that the guy on the right was coming. He just did not. 
I knew I would age, but in my mind, aging got me to about 28, and I couldn't get beyond that. I didn't picture being this bald. I didn't picture being this wrinkled. I had no idea what was coming. Last month, I preached a couple of sermons for NSO, for New Student Orientation. And in one of the sermons, I was teaching about the Israelites as they get ready to cross into the Promised Land. They have to cross the Jordan at flood stage. And if you know the story, the priests get to the edge of the Jordan, and they have to step down into the river. And when they do, the water stops. And so I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm doing this as if, you know, they're kind of hesitated about doing it. And then, just to make a point, I dropped off the edge of the stage and landed on the floor. It's only a couple of feet, but it's a lot farther than it used to be. (laughs) I landed, my feet hurt, my ankles hurt, my knees hurt, my ego hurt, (laughs) because it didn't used to hurt when I did stuff like that. And then on top of that, there's Jennifer Martin. Now, Jennifer Martin is all that. She uh, is is a key part of our chapel office and runs so much stuff. And she helps produce chapel to make sure that everything goes smoothly. And afterwards, she came over to me and says, if you do that again, let me know. We'll move the stairs over to the center, and you can walk down them and just jump off one step. (laughs) So now not only do I know I'm old, but I know that the people who surround me know I'm old. It was ego-defeating. And in 18, I had no idea. I just didn't. I could barely think two weeks ahead to get ready to, you know, start working on a paper that was due in two weeks. And uh, those of you who were in school with me, and there's some of you still around, you can amen that because you know it's true. Grandparents, can you identify with this at all? I'm seeing a lot of nodded heads with that kind of stuff. You have no idea what's coming. Now, some of you think you do. You say, well, I'm majoring in this, or I'm going to be a nurse, or I'm going to be a history teacher. Let me tell you, you only have a partial idea about the path you're going to walk. You may know your major, or you may not know your major, but you're leaning towards something, and your parents are hoping you'll choose a major, and they're, they're hoping that it will be something where you'll actually earn some money when you're done so you can pay off your college debt. But the question is, when you get that major, will it lead to your dream job? And if it does lead to your dream job, will the economy stay good enough that you'll get to keep your dream job? Or do you get laid off from that and have to take plan B or plan C? Will the political, political landscape get any better or will it get worse? And I'm guessing the political landscape that you guys live in will be more challenging. Will you find the love of your life? Will you have kids? If you have kids, will they be easy to raise? You know, I think one of the most cruel things parents ever say to their kid in one of those moments where it's difficult to raise them is, when you grow up, I hope you have kids just like you. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm having a horrible time right now, but I hope you'll have a horrible time too because it'll serve you right, you long... <laughs> Will you be a success and make lots of money? Will you be a success and not make any money at all, but make a big difference in the world? How will you handle it when the doctor gives you bad news? Because for all of us, at some point in our lives, the doctor will give us bad news. So we don't know what's coming. There are a lot of questions life throws at us, and we don't know the answer now. But I know that eventually you'll wrestle with them. Your grandparents wrestled with them. Your parents wrestled with them. You'll wrestle with them. Your children will wrestle with them, because that's how life works. 
And if you're thoroughly depressed right now, I want to help you from a grandparent's perspective get a little balance in this whole idea. So I'm going to give you a grandparent's thought, and then we're going to give you two or three thoughts from Scripture. And hopefully we'll find some value in this. As a guy who's closer to the end of my journey here on this earth than I am at the beginning, and I say that, um, I don't know if I'm old or not. Uh, I know I'm not middle-aged. Somebody sometimes says, no, you're middle-aged. I said, I'm only middle-aged if I live to be 136. And I don't know if old has started yet, but I'm on the cusp of it if it hasn't started. I'm closer to the end of my life than the beginning. I represent your grandparents' generation. And from this end of the continuum, I can say, I know that thinking about the future can be stressful. And I know that you worry about walking God's plan A, finding God's plan A, and then succeeding in it. But from our perspective, we will tell you that there is such a thing as a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. All of us at my age have lived enough life and had enough disappointments that things haven't gone exactly as we wanted. And we've had to make adjustments as we've gone through the journey. But I'm here to tell you that there's still joy and satisfaction and peace in plan B and C and D. In fact, people who do surveys measuring generational happiness say the second happiest generation group age group is students age 15 to 19 that's the second happiest do you know what the happiest generational gap group is from age 60 to 75 generally at peace generally satisfied generally pleased with their life dealing with health issues and all that kind of stuff we're going you know life is okay so there is a future out there and a hope out there, even if things don't go exactly like you want them to go. That's generally true of everyone, whether they follow Christ or not. But if you're a Christ follower, you get a bonus because you get God's help in your life. I've got a couple things to point out from God's word today. We're going to start where, there right now. I'd like to direct your attention to Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 31, but before we get there, I want to just summarize a little bit earlier in the chapter. Paul, the writer of Romans, talks about how we all are, in, are suffering together. This is not an easy world in which we live. But then he says, but the Holy Spirit is praying for us. He wants to support us. He, he wants to help us. He's interceding for us. And he says that God is at work in all things in the life of the believer and those who, who love Christ and are obedient to him. And, and that he takes everything that goes on in that person's life and he uses it to shape us into the image of Christ to make us look more and more like Jesus. Paul's not sugarcoating the challenges of life. He's putting them into perspective. And then he reminds us of the first thing I want to point out from Scripture today. Look with me at verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as this? That, you know, God's a, God is at work in our lives. What shall we say about this? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Pause. Um, there are lots of people can be against you. I think what he's really saying, if, if God is for us, what does it matter who else is against us? Because God's for us. And since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Here's, here's the first thought. God's on your side. God is on your side. Paul writes this in the face of trouble, but it isn't a new idea to those who honor God. Back in Psalm 56, King David is writing about a time when he'd been captured by his enemies, the Philistines. And he says, you keep track of all my sorrows. 
You've collected my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. God, you're intimately aware of what's going on in my life. And then he says, this one thing I know. God is on my side. In the midst of his captivity, God is on my side. I don't know who wrote Psalm 118. We don't know that, but the same thought is echoed. He says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? God is for me. He is on my side. He wants my best. God wants the best for you, too. You might be having a tough time right now. I know we're coming up on midterms, and you've got projects due, and you may be a little stressed by that. And if it's not tough today, someday it will be because that's just biblical truth. That's how life works. We say we believe the Bible, but sometimes we don't live like we really do. Lots of people, maybe lots of us, see God's will as restrictive, as something that will take the life out of life. I think that's part of the very first temptation that that the tempter played with with the story in Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve where the tempter says, did God really tell you you can't eat from any of these trees? And Eve said, oh, no, we can eat from all of them. We've got great freedom. We just can't eat from this one. He said, what? How unreasonable is that? He's just trying to keep you from knowing good and evil. He's just trying to restrict you. He's trying to hem you in. And you know what? God was trying to hem them in a little bit. His will sometimes is restrictive because he wants the best of the very best for us. He wants to protect us from stuff that will mess us up. But they gave in and sin entered the world and we live in a world that's still experiencing the results of the fall. Can I tell you something? God wants to protect you and has the very best plan for you. He's on your side. So when he puts a limit in place, It's because he knows it's good for you and he knows it's good for me. He's on your side and he knows what you're going through. That's more than theoretical. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, over at the cross-country track and um, obviously I was watching a cross-country match. I just didn't go stand there. And it was... (laughs) There were guys dressed like I was back in the day. The gun went off. And it's a, actually a great place to watch a, a, a cross-country match because you don't have to run very far to be, to see the runners three or four or five times. And they're coming running by, and I'm with everybody, and they're shouting in the pack at the beginning. I'm shouting, go, I woo, come on, I woo, go, go, go. And they run by. And then I went over to the spot where they're going to come by the first time. And as they come by, I said, you know, I'm clapping, I'm cheering for them. Way to run, way to run, way to run. Because they've only been in the match, meet, race less than a mile by that time. They're all still strong and energetic. And then I run over another spot and they're coming by. The field is starting to stretch out and... and and you're starting to lose contact with the guy in front of you. And I'd stand there and go, go get him. You can get him. Go get him. Come on now. Run hard. Go get him. And then I went over to another spot. And they're coming by. It's towards the end of the race. And these guys are looking exhausted by this time. And I'm saying, dig deep. Dig deep. Go get him. The guy in front of you can get him. You can get him. Finish strong. Finish strong. And it occurred to me, do they just wish the old guy would shut up? I mean, they're out there busting their butt, running hard. 
And there's some old guy standing on the side saying, run harder. <laughs> and they're thinking, what does he know? He's old. And then I remembered um, homecoming my junior year. I was at the cross-country course here, and in those days, nobody ever came to cross-country matches. Um, not even Patty. <laughs> she told me later, I didn't know I was supposed to. So I'm running, and I've got about a half mile to go. And um, I'm running along, and I'm tired, because I've been running hard, digging deep. And the, there's a guy in front of me about 50 yards or so. But I've decided I'm not going to catch him. And I look over my shoulder to see who's behind me. Because I don't want that guy to catch me. And I'm just going to settle into that little spot right there and finish the race, cruise home. But there was a spectator there. His name was John Herman. John still comes around the university a lot for, during basketball season. And John yelled, now he was not a runner. <laughs> but he yelled, come on, Bray, you can get him, go after him. And because somebody told me I could, I did. And I picked up the pace and I closed the gap and I closed the gap and I closed the gap and I closed the gap. And as we got to the final turn to head towards the finish line, we have about 150 yards to go. And this guy hears me coming and he picks up the pace and I pick up the pace and he picks up the pace more and I run harder than I think I'm capable of running at that point because I'm dying. <laughs> and just as we got to the finish line, I eased in front of him and beat him. That's where you're supposed to do. Woo! Yeah. And I did it. Because somebody challenged me to do so and said I could. And so I decided as I stood on the side of that cross-country match a couple of weeks ago that I would keep shouting encouragement because it worked for me. And I think it might work for them. And what I'm hoping is that today it will work for you. Listen to the encouragement that comes from Scripture. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Note the increasing intensity of these things. It gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And Paul reminds us that while hanging in there seems tough, Jesus knows our challenges. He's experienced them himself. He was one of us. He's there for us. He wants the best for us. He's on our side. And then he, in a shout of triumph, reminds us that we're more than conquerors. We're not just squeaking by by the skin of our teeth. He said, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Do you get it? 
God loves you. He's passionate about you. His strength is there for you. He's on your side. His way is best for you. You don't have to be conquered by life's problems. We are designed to be conquerors and we are designed to live victoriously. That's God's plan for us. Jesus is praying for us. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. He's lived the life and he says we can do it. So what does that mean to us right now? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? Some of you are juniors and seniors, and you might remember back to Summit two years ago when Sean Cosson was the speaker. Sean was talking about God's plan A and about the stress we have in discovering plan A and our worry that we'll miss plan A. What if we miss God's best for us? And Sean said something that resonated with me, and it still resonates with students as I talked to him who remembered it. He basically says, God does have a plan A for you, and he wants you to find it. But if with a good heart you actually choose wrong and choose plan B, God has a way of making plan B plan A for you. That's what Sean said, and I think that's true. God's on your side. If you have a heart that chases him, in all things, God will work for your good. And if you have a heart that chases him, he'll conform you to the image of Christ. And if you have a heart for cha- that chases him, you will triumph victoriously in life no matter what challenges you face. If you're a student, you don't know what the next 50 years are going to hold. There will be good times And there will be challenging times, but God will be with you in every one of those times. And if you're a grandparent, can I talk to you for just a second? I've talked to your grandchildren about their next 50 years. In our generation, we don't use that number of years anymore. I'm thinking about the next 15 years of my life. And you know what? We don't know what the next 15 years are going to hold for us as well. It's likely for most of us the next 15 years we'll hold some bad news from a doctor. We know that. It's likely that sometime in the next 15 years we'll stand by a few gravesides of people we love. That's how life works. Some of us will face financial challenges. But remember the God who brought you this far is the God who will keep you then. Because the truth about being more than conquerors doesn't end when you're 65 or 68 or 70 or whatever you are. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. And we are more than conquerors as we search for him. Whether you're 8, 18, 80, somewhere in between, keep your eyes focused on the one who loves you passionately. And he will help you live triumphantly. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, and thank you for the wealth of experience that's represented in this room today. Thanks for the love that's represented in this room. And thanks for the love you have for us. I pray for every person here, whether they're 18 or 80 or in between or just over or under that, that they would live with courage, that they would keep their eyes on you, keep you in the center of their vision and let you be the Lord of their heart. In Christ's name I pray.